Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined by Jesse Norell to discuss his new album, Aorta Borealis. Aorta Borealis was released March 4th. It is available through all streaming services and also through his website for the complete compilation on CD, jessinorell.com. So welcome, Jesse Norell. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Stephen and Lori. Really appreciate you guys. You've got a pretty unique kind of story. Um, it's a story of how your daughter and, and her diagnosis, or even beyond that, the diagnosis, the heart condition and surgeries, how that inspired you to make music again and to express yourself and your feelings and your emotions during those times uh, through music. You were a musician before. You created this album. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Jesse Norell. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have been a musician for a really long time. My first instrument was trombone, and I ended up playing trombone because I tried out, I wanted to play the drums. So that makes sense, right? The story is there was this mean old orchestra conductor guy at uh, my school and I wanted to learn how to play the drum set but I wanted to play with other kids so I was like I'll get some chops by playing percussion in the orchestra and he was like we have too many kids that want to do that you play this trombone and then I went outside and cried and then played trombone for a couple years then my family moved to the Dominican Republic so I was there for all of high school and at 15 years old my dad shipped his old classical guitar that he never really learned how to play when he was a kid. And I started learning on that when I was 15. I didn't really have a teacher. I just had a book and I would just fall asleep at night thinking about different combinations of notes and what they might sound like and then testing them the next day. And I just enveloped myself in that as much as I could and moved back to Minnesota for college and started playing in bands and doing that whole thing. Put out a record in 2005 with a band I was in called Reticence. And then um, the reward of doing it didn't outweigh the amount of work that it was to do it and the amount of money it was just to keep renting a practice space and those different things. And I also felt like I wasn't going to say anything else unless I had something really important to say. I didn't feel like I had something to say for 15 years. And then we moved to Singapore in 2012, came back in 2015. Uh, Tyler had been born in Singapore. He's eight years old now. And Alyssa was on the way. She's six years old now. And Alyssa was born with Down syndrome and heart defect. We had a birth diagnosis and that was all a big surprise. So we put our head down for a couple of years. She had two heart surgeries. She got a feeding tube. She had to have surgery uh, on her stomach after heart surgery because it gave her these basically ulcers in her stomach from the stress of it. And it was a long season of us just putting our heads down and trying to get through that. And coming out of all of that 
and feeling joyful again and really getting to see who Alyssa was as a toddler, as a human being, as a wonderful person, and not simply somebody that I needed to take to doctor's appointments and try to keep them, keep her alive. I felt like I had something to say again. So I launched a Kickstarter in March, 2020 to see if anyone was interested and would be willing to help me get some gear and have someone that could mix the album that was successful. Uh, had enough, should have asked for more because it costs a lot more than I was expecting to, but the album got made. It's called Aorta Borealis, and it's about this entire journey through all the dark times and into the joyful uh, season uh, that we have now. Well, first I want to ask how your daughter is now. You said she's six? She's six. She's six. How is she doing now? Alyssa's doing great. Alyssa is on the longest leash that she could be with everybody. She sees the heart doctor to get an echo once a year. She got ear tubes. She sees them once a year. She sees the eye doctor for her glasses. I think that's also once a year. She's just doing great. Every time we go to get a checkup at her pediatrician, they say, is she on any medication? And I often sit there for a second and I have to think about it. And I say, no, she's not. And I'm sort of bewildered by that fact that she's doing so well and doesn't need any medication at all. It's amazing. Well, dealing with the heart is so uh, is scary. We had the opportunity to talk to Melissa Kynach and she took us through her son's heart surgery and surgeries that he had. And, and I think that's scary. I think it's so healing to share your story because parents go through it. And I feel like a lot of times we go through these things and either we are alone or we can feel alone. And we don't share these stories because I think sometimes we're afraid to share the story of the challenge and those real feelings that are there. We, in across the board as humans, we kind of stifle them down and pretend that we're okay or don't talk about it. I think talking about it can be healing, but it can also be healing to others that come behind us. So um, I appreciate you you sharing that, especially now that you've come to year six, because when we start out, we don't know what's going to happen. And you you come to year six and she, she's doing annuals. And um, I think that's a light for others for who may be at the beginning of this journey. Because to skip around, when I was listening to your, um, what do they call it? Do I say CD? Um, what is it called? A album, record. Album, record. I don't know. I, I got know. your eight track and I put it in. <laughs> no, I've never had an eight track. I just, I just pulled that. <laughs> um, but I had your tape, your mixtape tape that you made. Um, but I was listening to it and I'll be honest, the first part is, um, is hard because your pain is there, mm. you know, and, and it is, it's, it's real. There's a turmoil that comes out in the music. Definitely a confusion of what the future holds, you know, and that's, um, scary. Yeah. I think that your, your emotion is, is so raw. And it was when I was listening to it, I'm like, Oh, this is really hard. This is really hard because, um, it's, it's your pain. And I appreciated the honesty because I think sometimes we we're not honest. 
we're, we're really not. Well, definitely you things know. that you put out into the world. Right. Well, because people say, how are you? Or this. And I think that when we're going through anything, we're focused usually on what we want the outcome to be. And once we're through it, it's hard to look back. Like Stephen and I left the NICU after 75 days thinking, we'll come visit and bring them a gift. And we never turned back. I like never we, walked in that hospital we again. We had a doctor that was really close and I just would drive by and I just, I could, it was the pain. So I appreciate you sharing that pain because I think it's healing because in the end, ultimately you get through that pain and there's that joy and that light and that getting through. Which is reflected more at the end of the of the songs that we listen to. Right. So I appreciate you telling the story because I think that it can be healing. And I also think just, I know you don't want to share too much about detail, but when I was listening to the first part, I thought, yeah, um, I could have a really good healing cry, you know, connecting to a journey that a lot of parents have been on, that it's going to be okay. Because people can tell you okay, and doctors will tell you you'll be okay, but just hearing it and seeing it is as proof. Sometimes we need that proof. We're, we're going to be okay. I, I had a lot of good cries doing this. I feel <laughs> okay. like part of what happened during this process is you, when you make something, you have to listen to it over and over again. You have to do a bunch of vocal takes to get the ones you want. You have to really dive into these lyrics that you wrote down. And it builds up your emotional endurance in a good way. That's the way I feel about it. And I, I, I love that you two get it so much you said so many things that like I don't have to say now because you hit it exactly on the head that is the point right the record is called Aorta Borealis Aorta is obviously a reference to the heart and that's a central component to what's going on and when I talk about heartbreak that's kind of a literal uh, interpretation of that word rather than just a figurative one then Borealis is a reference to the Northern Lights. And the Northern Lights is something that you can only see against the backdrop of darkness. You can't see it when everything's bright and shiny and happy and fine in the middle of the day. So being able to express both sides of that story was really important to me. I had a small number of people express to me that that was a poor choice. Somebody told me there's so much negativity still around Down syndrome, we just need to tell people the good stuff. And I'm like, but the hard stuff makes the happy stuff so much happier. So the opening lines of the album, uh, and I will try to say this without weeping, they go, uh, I remember where I sat on the bedroom floor and heard your diagnosis over the telephone in the 11th hour of the night that you were born. So it starts sort of at the beginning and you both mentioned not wanting to return to the hospital ever again to that place because you have trauma surrounding that space that you were in. For me, it was that spot. Fortunately, that was temporary housing we were in because I never want to see that room again in my life because it was not my favorite moment that I've had in my life. And as much as, like you said, you want to go back and tell those doctors how much you appreciate them because they're incredible. It's okay to say for my mental health, I, I need to disconnect from that. I need to do what I have to do to be able to move forward with my life and f try to focus on the things that bring me joy and wellness. Yeah. So thank you for getting it. <laughs> I appreciate that. First, I will say that the people who told you that the importance of just saying the good stuff 
I get that because I think our narrative is so important. And I feel like that first, how we receive the diagnosis isn't part of our narrative. I don't think that's part of the reality of Down syndrome at all. I think that it's still news that has been being fed to us by an institution that still sees our children as limited, as less than, less than those are the people that are giving us that information. And so unless we have somebody in our life with down syndrome, unless we have somebody who's been on this path, just like with the heart surgery, unless we know somebody, then there's a tone to that news. There is an apology. There is a look that the doctors and nurses have. There is the way our friends and family receive the news because they were fed that same narrative. That narrative has nothing to do with our journey. Their narrative has nothing to do with my son's life, with his abilities, and with what he will accomplish. It is nothing but a challenge and a barrier that he is meant to fight and to overcome in addition to anything else that he might, you know, have as a challenge in addition to, you know, something that if you had a neurotypical child would just be like, oh, that's their challenge. Don't compare any child. So when we receive that news, it has nothing to do with what's ahead of us. It is that first block that's put in our path and we can choose to let it stop us, to step over it or push our foot against it like some Olympic athlete and take off. So I get that people would say, you got to keep the narrative positive because our story, the story we tell is so important to our community. And you can go on any message board and you can see where that narrative for a lot of people got stuck with the delivery of the diagnosis. With anything else in life, there's a conversation with any other news that you have in your life that people have with you that they're open to like discovering this that doesn't happen all the time with down syndrome steven thought he had to send out an announcement saying our son has down syndrome i was like no say our son is born and has brown eyes you know there's a certain accountability that's put on us and then there's this reflection of what society believes in the way that i would say 75 to 90% of the people that we tell, that's how they respond with that same, oh, I'm sorry, you don't deserve this, these things that are not based in our narrative. And I think that that's where you get that, where people say, no, we have to stay positive. But having the conversations, because that initial conversation about how you felt that you sat in that room and you received this news, that speaks to the fact of what you knew about Down syndrome beforehand and how it was presented. That's part of the narrative that we need to change. That's part of what we need to do. <laughs> Take your record to the hospitals and say, look what you've done. Look what you put on parents. Now, I feel like you take a journey. And I think that, I think the music is a journey and it's a real reflection. And that journey might take a day or a week or it may take years, but it is a reflection. And I think that people can then identify with that journey. Yes, that's that's the hope. Um, you definitely hit on a lot of the things that I was wrestling with, with how to write this. And the first song, it's called What to Tell You. You basically told the story of it just now when you were talking, right? I I wrote it first and it's just a sad song about a day that I thought was going to be incredible. Like when my older child was born, I thought it was going to be like that. And 
what happened was something entirely different. It was filled with uncertainty and unease and unknowns. And when I talk about the diagnosis, I am talking about both because both the heart surgery and Down syndrome, because like I said, I received that news in the same sentence. And when I was thinking about how to tell this story, I thought of each chapter like a, a scene from a movie and trying to figure out, well, what does that scene sound like? I wanted to be able to tell that first chapter of the story. And you asked, did I know anything about Down syndrome? Not really. And I don't, the, the people at Children's Minnesota, Children's Hospital Minnesota, I thought they did a pretty good job. They didn't say, they, they said congratulations. And I thought, wait, but she has a defective heart. Do you say congratulations when you get a kid that is unhealthy? That seems wrong. I'm just so, my, my mind is so many places. And then people would say, well, I, I don't think anyone said, I'm so sorry. If they would have, I probably would have said, that doesn't sound right either. And somebody asked me, well, what are we supposed to say? I said, I don't know. Everything's wrong. <laughs> like, I can't figure this out. My, my brain cannot process all of this at once. So I wanted to put a song into the universe that just tried to explain the emotions of that particular day. And then telling other people what happened is part of that story as well. I need to tell them, hey, this is what's going on. And that's hard too. You sort of just want to go into your own shell. And that was all important to me because as you alluded to, Lori, it's a transformation that I go through as Alyssa's dad. And if you don't tell people the first part, there is no transformation. You're just skipping past that. So I had to acknowledge that I had certain misconceptions about Down syndrome. I didn't know what heart surgery was going to be like. Turned out that was really hard, right? You talked about the details of that. This is full-on open heart surgery. This is a really big deal. And I needed to treat it as such. But in so doing, I get to show how brighter the end of the record is. And I think that even from song one to song two, there's, there's the beginning of that transformation. The second song has that hook, we can get through it if we do it together, which is me speaking to that my daughter's presence kept me putting one foot in front of the other because I could see her. I was understanding that this is a real, wonderful human being. I'm not fighting for the future. I'm fighting for now. I'm trying to get this girl healthy. And her, she was a calming presence during the most difficult times. And it's also about the community that sort of walked before me and helped me through it as well. Um, so there's a transformation there. I Really quickly, I want to talk about on the seventh song of the record is called Darkness to Light. And there's a line in there that says, it's kind of a double negative thing. It works for the phrasing. It says, can I not be the unluckiest 1%? And so that's another negative thing, right? My child fits into the percentage of kids that has Down syndrome. My child fits into the percentage of kids that needs heart surgery. My child fits into the percentage of kids that needs a feeding tube and then a second heart surgery. And you just start to feel like whatever can go wrong will go wrong. You start to feel that way. The very next song is called The Lucky Few when you get through all the health stuff and you just realize, 
I'm actually very, very fortunate. Alyssa is great. And once you get to stop worrying about health scares, life becomes so much better and you realize how actually lucky you are. You know, it's funny when you were saying that, um, I thought about how I'm going to go back to only telling the good part. And you said, do I have to, can I not be a part of this one, one percent? You have the right to say, I'm totally overwhelmed. I don't know what to say. I don't know what this is. And honestly, history has not given us anything good about Down syndrome and heart surgery for a child. It wasn't that long ago that they wouldn't give our child that heart surgery. Our friend was told, you're lucky that we give your child this surgery now because a couple years ago we wouldn't. The effort wasn't made, yeah. The effort wasn't made because it wasn't seen as a life that was equal to others. And so... It's natural. That's your feel. I always tell my daughter, feel all your feelings. You have to feel all those feelings because like you said, it is a journey. You know, we felt, we like ground from underneath us, like can't breathe. Devastated. And it wasn't devastated because of anything solid. It wasn't like a solid fact. It was like, I'm devastated because whatever was just put on my child the way it was put on my child and the information that is out there about that thing is just completely overwhelming. And it is definitely a lot based in the unknown because there weren't a lot of very positive things. And, and, and you're right. Like you wanted this, you wanted to have that same experience that you did with your son and that gets taken away. I want to say bravo to whoever said congratulations to you because they knew. They knew what would take you a little bit to get to. They knew that you you have this this child and you're going to have a journey. And they might have had some insight into the reality of what that journey is. Do you know? Um, I think it's so important for us not to judge each other. Every human has different feelings. It shouldn't be any different because our child has Down syndrome. We shouldn't be denied those feelings. We shouldn't be meant to feel like we can't have those feelings or thoughts or the same thoughts that we have with our neurotypical children. You know, those same concerns. Your neurotypical child was born as just as unknown. Yep. And kind of a little bit more scary because you don't have a team of doctors looking for things. That's the only thing I like about that list that is kind of set in misinformation is that we can go in and say we want these tests because this is written down as that we should be concerned. So, you know, and it took me a long time to even look at that list because I was like, you're handing it to me like what this weight and it took me a long time to use it for what it should be used for for good i hated that list that list was the worst well because the way it's given to you is horrific the way it's given to you is based given to you without anything good on a list first of all it's misinformation we have a really great interview with dr mona guerra from children's who goes through everything on that list and tells us the actual percentages everything on that list could be given to any other child they don't do that I don't. T- I do not want my doctor to list all the things that, that can go could happen with- to a fifty-year-old man. No, right? <laughs> I don't Forced. want that list either. I'd be, I wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah. So I mentioned that I wrote "What to Tell You," the first song in the album, and then I wrote one of the ones that I knew was going to be on the ending of the album. It's called "You Are," and so I was trying to present people with the two sides of this thing, and the way I was sort of pitching it was. 
this is an album about Down syndrome. It's not. And that's what I discovered once I actually started writing it down. As I mentioned, the Down syndrome diagnosis was so tied into the heart surgery diagnosis for me that it took me a while to separate those things, which in a way makes sense because they delivered it in a way that that said kids with Down syndrome often need heart surgery. So right away, they're linking these two things, right? And so then I think it's natural at the beginning to say, well, Down syndrome is the problem because along with that comes heart surgery. Through the writing out of all these lyrics and processing of everything, I really started to realize I mentioned Down syndrome once on this record at the very beginning on the first song. And after that, it's about getting healthy. And that's it. And finding joy again. And I realized I need to separate these two things, like just exactly what you were saying, Lori, that Down syndrome is not the problem. I almost see it as like the solution, like it's the joy. And heart surgery is not joyful. So can I separate completely these two things? And I realized that I had to do that. Even though, you know, like I said, heart surgery can come along with Down syndrome. Heart surgery is not Down syndrome. These are different things. If I can get through the surgeries and the unwellness and the crisis and the chaos caused by unwellness, then I can see Down syndrome for what it is, which is, I think of it as joy. It's everything, actually. It's all of the emotions. What I can tell you is this. My daughter is a fantastic human being and I love her to death. And I want other people to know her or know somebody like her. And maybe by listening to this, they can get to know her a little bit better because I think that the main way we dispel our preconceptions about other people is by getting to know somebody in that community. And if you can know my daughter, you might have a different conception of what Down syndrome is because she is incredible. You say that, and that's true with any judgment, right? We need to get to know each other, and that's really something that I talk about is seeing each other and not just a word or a soundbite or a picture or the past or some archaic thought that was passed down generation to generation. It's about really seeing each other. And I like that you talk about separating, you know, the diagnosis and knowing that the Down syndrome is the joy, but it's all those preconceived beliefs that are handed down. And it's those same beliefs that create the limits that now, I think that now that, that with social media, the one good thing about social media is that we're able to tell our stories and see other stories that we're breaking down those barriers where our children are getting educated, which is just so awful to say. But our children are finally getting an education and we're fighting. I mean, we that's that's a lot of episodes on this podcast is the fight for an education, which is so wrong. And if you need you can always reach out if you need some um, information, because as you as you're as she's six, I, I know what that yeah, you're that jumping in there, that you're journey is. into the educational um, system. Yeah. But yeah. the one thing also that when you say a lot of children with Down syndrome have heart issues, you know what they leave out that they give to every other parent whose child has heart issues? But medicine is so great today. These are the things that we have. And this this is the wonder of medicine. And they, they tend to leave that off until maybe like the next conversation. They, I don't know why. They want to spook you? I don't know. It's like, I don't think I would hope it wasn't intentional. I'm sure that I've, I've heard a story of, 
a few doctors who, you know, heavy handedly had an agenda, but I think misinformation comes from ignorance and not knowing. I do believe that we're all doing our best. Sometimes our best just could be better. Um, and then change comes from learning and being open to that. So they, they give us this information. And I love that you say that because maybe there's a parent out there right now who received that same diagnosis linked in that same way. And to know that the, the Down syndrome isn't the challenge, the Down syndrome is the joy. And I, I look at you. The and solution, right? And the, yes, and the solution. And I look at you and your daughter's six and that seed of that joy, just the way that's going to just bloom in your life. It's amazing because I am such a better human and not in some altruistic way, but just my son teaches me the power of being present, the power of strength. And he is the hardest worker I know. I mean, fighting for an education, just so you know, my son can read, even though they told me that he wouldn't. And they actually kind of didn't really teach him. We, you know, we picked up the baton and and ran with him uh, following his lead along the way. He does math. He's on curriculum. All of those things. I know that there's a wide spectrum of ability, but the possibility is there. And with no support, there's no ability. And that's really what they give us. That's really what they tell us. If you don't teach any child to read, they won't read. Right? It's, it's, just, it's just what it is. And I always say I have hope for the future that one day somebody's not going to get the information like that. And the truth of what having that extra chromosome is will just be what that extra chromosome is given to us in a factual manner without opinion or judgment. And then also the supports for that life to be equal and have the same opportunities as every life. And I think that is really the biggest challenge. And, and to go back to the light that your daughter is in your life, I mean, that, these are all things that we can learn from each other. I can learn from anybody. But what, I can, what I've learned from my son is that there's a lot of qualities that I want to have in myself that he has. And it's something that we all have the ability to do. Yes. We just as humans refuse to do them. Yes. I feel like we refuse to change enough to act the way my son does in so many situations. To be honest, I mean, it's something that is easy to say, but to truly be honest, it seems to be difficult for a lot of people. And we can learn from him. And I know you say that because we've had this conversation, you know, a lot of times our kids get called a light and an angel. And it's so funny because I would fight tooth and nail to say my son is not an angel. I'd be like, he is not an angel. Oh, he, but he, you know he what? can be feisty, but right? One day I looked at him and I was like, the reason why people say he's an angel is because one, even though it's accessible to everyone, people don't see this no agenda in the moment human very often. So they automatically make it this thing that's not accessible. They can't take have... the pressure off themselves. Yeah. To that's go, Down that's syndrome. That. No, we, we can all learn from we him to all... be better. Yeah, we can all be present. We can all put ourselves as equal so we don't judge another person. Liam doesn't judge people, but it is something that maybe until like a year and a half ago that I said, okay, you're saying angel. I think what you mean is my son is present and has no agenda. And he's doing the things that we should be doing. Yeah, to try to put the positive spin on some of that when you want to just fight it all and be like, there's a certain amount of they mean well and that you need to have to be able to just survive some of the conversations of people that are also learning and to remember that who you were, you know, in your case, 12 years ago and how far you've come and like, okay, well, they're where I was, however many 
years, months ago. And uh, it's okay. Let's bring them along. Let's let's go on this ride together. Absolutely. I would be interested. This is something I haven't talked about before. And I wonder maybe if you two know anything about this. I think my daughter has a higher emotional quotient or emotional intelligence than a lot of other kids her age, just in terms of being able to sense what other people are going through and try to comfort them and give them a hug when they need it. I feel like my daughter is more in tune to that sort of stuff than a lot of other kids that I've seen. And that might just be her. Again, we try to treat the individual like an individual, and I'm not trying to make stereotypes about anybody. But I wonder if this is a trend. And I wonder if a lot of kids with Down syndrome have a deeper gift of understanding what other people are feeling. You know what I've learned about Liam and what I've observed on this subject that if I look at myself and I see somebody's upset and I reach out and I say, hey, are you okay? I immediately am like, oh my gosh, am I overstepping a boundary? Do they think I'm being weird? I'm, is this inappropriate? Is this like, the right I way to over, say this? I so overthink it. And what I see when I see Liam is he doesn't say, oh, that kid's upset. Oh, he's going to think I'm weird. Or should I be hugging him? Or what he just says, that kid's upset. I'm going to go check in. And we had a whole conversation about this before. Like, what if we all did that? What if I was like, hey, Jesse, you seem upset. You okay? Yeah. And there's that connection of Jesse being seen. Like we took Liam to Hamilton for his birthday. Uh, have you seen Hamilton? Uh, on Disney Plus. It's incredible. Oh, amazing, right? So no spoilers here, but there are some moments where our, it's very emotional and we're watching it and then, and I'm just looking forward. I'm not, you know, I'm just like trying not to make a lot of noise. So thankful that we had to have a mask on. <laughs> and Liam's hand comes to my face and wipes off a tear. He's like, you okay? And I was like, I'm okay, Liam. He was like, okay. And then we continue to watch. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you that when your child is born is, hey, you know what? They're, your child is going to be so present and just so powerful as a human and something that we should all strive for. Put that when they give you the diagnosis. Hey, you know what? There are these concerns, these health concerns that we'll watch out for. That we'll watch out for. And, you know, as far as cognitive delays, these are the accommodations you can at every birth. Give me the list of accommodations to, to break down at every IEP. In kindergarten, ask for this. In first grade, ask for this. Give me that. So much more useful. And tell me what a beautiful, <laughs> what a beautiful human. Now, he does have an older sister that will disagree sometimes. Mm. But tell me the good stuff. Tell me the stuff that we have to learn on our own. And sometimes, honestly, we don't see for a while, you know, because we're too busy taking care of those other lists. But yes, that's the conversation that we've had about that emotional is that if you think about it, your daughter can teach you how to, because that's what Liam's taught me, that when my friend is hurt, that I say, man, you're going to think I'm a weirdo, but you okay? Can I do anything? I love you. important. You send random texts. Ask, Ask some of my good friends. I send random texts. I love you. I just want you to know that. How you doing? People don't say what? that enough. I've been what getting are... better about it, about telling my friends that I love them because I do. So if I feel it, I'm going to say it. Yeah. Life is too short. Isn't the world just a better place? And you know what? I learned that and I got the courage to do that from watching my son um, because I'm in my head a lot feeling like I'm, you know, I don't want to, I want to do what's right. Mm-hmm. What, what's socially appropriate. Right. Yep. 
Yes, I, but I know that we only have like an hour this time. So I wanted to talk about your music, though, because first of all, I loved listening to I don't know what all your influences are, but I did hear like a little bit of, oh, that's like a little bit Water Boys or Smashing Pumpkins, or I like that sound because it's like, so it's so fun. I wanted to ask because you said you studied different music. Did you play the violin on this or did someone else do that? Because when you're talking about playing other instruments. I played the guitar and I sang and everything else is my friends volunteering to play on this record. And it started with my friend from college named Steve Gould, who played uh, drums for Sarah Bareilles and for Ben Rector, international tours he's gone on. And he just heard what I was doing and he said, I'm in, can I play on this for free? And I go, yes, yeah, you can, Steve. Um, so that's kind of where it began. Well, I guess my, my best friend from college, Clint Phillips, had already signed on to play bass at that point. And then I was looking for some strings. Being able to play with a string section was something that I always wanted to do. And as I'm thinking about how this is going to play out in my head, I'm thinking to myself, I need a string section. So I mentioned that I lived in Singapore. And while I was there two out of three years, uh, I was offered a guitar teaching job. That's how I started teaching guitar. And I met a bunch of people in that department. One was a violin player. One was a cello player. They got married and moved to Texas. So I'm in Minnesota. All of a sudden, we're in the same time zone. We start talking and they sign on to the project. So it's Ed Harper and Catherine Sullivan. And I would say, hey, this song, I feel like needs this sort of thing over this and go. And then a month later, they would come back. Uh, here's a string quartet. Here's a string quintet. Like, and they just <laughs> just knock this out. And it was really difficult for them because they had a toddler running around and they just didn't know when they were going to get it done. But eventually they got all these string parts sent to me. And so that that I feel like really makes the record for me that's something I've always wanted to do and then Chris Mason uh, another friend of mine played keys so I didn't know if I would have to try to do everything myself and I didn't know how that was going to work but fortunately people that could record from their homes because every a lot of things happened during lockdown um, we all just started trading files and figured out how to do this from our homes and then it was mixed by my friend uh, well my new friend Chris Carr who is from Ontario, Canada, and got to know him through a friend of a friend of a friend. And we exchanged like hundreds of thousands of words on how to mix this thing. And eventually, two years later, it exists. <laughs> the order of the songs is the journey. Mm -hmm. What to tell you, you're, talk you're just talking to people that you have to tell the news. Yeah, yeah. I've talked about that one quite a bit, but that one's just a really honest assessment of where I was at that time, which was not great. Uh, I was not in a great headspace, but I wanted to acknowledge that headspace that I was in. And like you said, to let other people know who are walking a similar journey, hey, you're going to have a bunch of feelings. And if you feel guilt for those feelings on top of those feelings, that's going to make it that much harder. So let yourself have your feel. Like you said, you can have all the feelings, and don't get stuck there. Continue to evolve, continue to learn, and try to move on. But yes, acknowledge the place where you are when you're there. 
So I get it. It's like, you know, if someone just took that song out of context, they would might say, hey, Jess, it's like a really bad depiction of yep. what it is to have Down syndrome. You're right. You only mentioned Down syndrome once. And that's why when I was listening to the record, I was like, this is about, you know, that that heart surgery, because you do mention the heart. A, a lot you know it, it is the title not, of the whole the, album. yeah and it all is also that you're a parent with a child and it's a it's a different parenting album but you know as as you're listening to that song one I think we can all identify with those feelings and I hope there's someone who goes no really I didn't get that I don't identify with this I love that I want your song to become something where it's like no I don't get it that's not doesn't <laughs> yes. seem right like there was one nurse when Alyssa was in the hospital that said, oh, she has Down syndrome. I've always wanted to have a child with Down syndrome. I'm like, you, you are my people. I need to, you, let's, let's stick together. That's great. You tell me what I need to do to get to where you are because I'm struggling with all of this. And then I read one other person who did an interview in some magazine or something. And when they got their diagnosis, they cheered. They were so happy. And that's where we, we need to get. Absolutely. Because honestly, uh, if you chair, anybody around would be like, it's just like when Stephen and I went into our to the school for the first time and we're like, we want him to be held accountable to everything that his peers are. And they were like, oh, mom, that's so sweet. Oh, Honestly, if there was an honest depiction of what Down syndrome was, it would be like, man, you are going to learn so much. And this journey is freaking amazing. It's not without challenges, but no parenting experience is without challenges. There's there's none. Yep. Right? You're going to be part of the lucky few. You're going to be the people that get it by the by the middle but, uh, slash end of your journey, you know? Or record. <laughs> but I think also the first song tells us that, you know, you listen to it. Like, if you tell an outsider what your experience was with that diagnosis, they're like, I don't get why. I don't get it. And so then maybe we can start to talk about why we receive the news that way and what is a better, more appropriate so we don't do this to parents. You shouldn't have to feel that. You shouldn't because it's unnecessary. Yeah, and let me just add that, again, I felt like they did a pretty good job of not saying, I'm so sorry. However, that one day cannot undo the education that I had been having up until that point about what this diagnosis meant. You can't, it can't be undone in one day. So of course you don't want your doctors and nurses to reinforce, I'm so sorry, your kid has Down syndrome. That's not good. But even if they say everything right, or they're just kind of maybe neutral about it, it's not going to change your mindset immediately. It's going to take some time. Well, that's when we talk about how important inclusion is. Mm -hmm. You know, the the yes. students that are going to school with Liam are learning about Down syndrome in a different way than I ever learned about Down syndrome. If one of those children grow up to have a child with Down syndrome, their preconceived notions are at a different place than mine was. And then if they receive the diagnosis in a different way, too, we're just, what a more peaceful and truthful start to this journey. Or it's they become our, a teacher, right? And then they right, teach other kids. That's what we kids, talked about right? is that you want inclusion in the classrooms because right now, you know, those teachers who have been teaching and never had to teach in an inclusive classroom feel like it's more work. Well, if we have inclusive classrooms, kids are going to learn that education is for everyone. That's that's a, That would be great, wouldn't it? And the ones that grow up to be teachers, they'll teach everyone and not think that teaching those kids is extra. People who have these perceptions of, and we'll jump to education because we usually do, that educating my child is extra, 
that's just what they came from. Those people came from that belief. So that belief has to be changed because we're equal. My wife is an eighth grade English teacher and she is a fantastic teacher because she understands exactly what you're talking about. And she knows that she has to teach to everybody. She has to teach to individuals and she understands that that's a big challenge and she's up to the challenge. And our teachers, even the ones that might not be all the way there deserve our support. And I don't say that to say that they shouldn't improve. I say that because I understand how hard it is and that we might be in a position to help them better understand what we need as parents and what our kids need, but it is not an easy job. Let's just put that out there. Well, I do think that a conversation is more constructive than anger. That's true. But the state of things when you have somebody who doesn't feel that your child is equal, that's a different conversation. I think there there are teachers out there that it wasn't their job before, and there are teachers that are now open to going, okay, well, what do I need to do? A fresh state of mind where their foundation is in equality is, is what I mean. And I think that that's what it has to come from is seeing everybody's life as equal. When you feel like you're better than someone is when you judge somebody. And so I think it's a, it's a big conversation that we've talked about, but yes, I, I think that when you have a team that's willing to work, but when you have one of those closed minded people that think that your child is less than you part ways with those people, they they don't have a place on your path. Well, we say teachers, but teachers are only reflective of what our society is going through. And I think our society is learning to accept others and understand that when we use words like well, your child does things differently than a normal child, a typical child. I don't know what a normal or typical child is anymore. I don't think that's something that is definitive. And I think we're seeing this as a society that we're realizing we're all individuals. Mm-hmm. And when you say your your wife teaches to the individual, that is where we're going as a society. Yes. And that's going to be reflective in our future teachers and our teachers now as we're doing it. But teaching to the individual, treating the individual in our society as that individual. Yes. But anyway, we, the, I want to stay focused on your music. Well, I love that you guys are champions for education. So I'll just say that. I think if we go into, you know, when we get a diagnosis, if, if we understand that the reason that people are giving it to us in that way with the misinformation has nothing to do with our child. It really doesn't. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody who knows our child, you know, and, and you're right. It's like we, we educate and we teach. We do. Sometimes it's a pain in the butt to have to teach. There's a really great book. I mean, the school that my son goes to now is like really amazing. And they have this wonderful book list. And I was reading some of the descriptions and it was about a girl whose sibling was born with a disability. I want to say she was, she's deaf and the girl is getting to know the community. And in the description, it says, and learning that it's not the community's responsibility to teach her. It's her responsibility to learn. And I was like, yes. It's so life-giving to see in print and hear people say your thoughts out loud. Like you said with that, yes, 100%. Um, when you say about helping others along and helping the teachers along and giving them insight and being part of that team, 
sometimes it can be frustrating that we're doing that. But I think, you know, we do it and then one day we won't have to. Or maybe people coming behind us won't have to. Well, we can learn, like we said, from our children. We say Liam teaches us so many things, teaches other people so, so many things. If we put our information out there, can't we also contribute to that that learning experience? Can this podcast give information to people that they may need to learn? Can your music do the same? Can someone listen to your words and your lyrics and come out at the end of that and have learned something in a positive way about about many things, about life? What if you could give this record to anybody in your family to help them understand your feelings? Because, you know, you mentioned about when you were, you were writing it that you didn't have the words when people said, well, what do we say? You didn't, I don't know. I don't know. And then when you had time to heal, you had, you wrote these feelings. This is like your conduit of healing. But isn't it a great thing that when people say, are you okay? Or how do you feel? Or what is this about that? You don't have to tell them, but Hey, if you take a listen, maybe you'll understand what this journey can feel like. And really the healing part of, and the transformation in the songs, like that first one is really hard to listen to because it does, it, it has the weight of what we're, what we're handed with our child, nothing to do with the journey. And then I love my favorite song is it's the last song. I love it. It's like a celebration. People can listen to it and then maybe they just understand they don't have to answer or fix anything or, but maybe then they can just understand that when I tell you my child has down syndrome and you say you're sorry or tell me you don't deserve it or your face goes pale or you don't have play dates with my child or you don't want to visit or you give age inappropriate gifts. This is how it makes me feel. Listen to this first song because that's how it makes me feel. It might be different words than what you're expressing, but you know, or what your personal journey is, but it definitely has the feeling there. That is a gift to our society is that, you know what, we all, we love each other and we want to, to lift each other. This is how I feel. These are my feelings. Not everybody who has a story like mine, like ours can write music or has the capacity. And I felt like that was something that I could do. And I felt like just telling my story wasn't enough because you can say words and they don't always convey the feeling that you had. But when you watch a great movie, you have some sort of sounds happening, some sort of music happening that tells you this is what this character is feeling at this moment. Like if you watch, let's say, a horror movie with the sound off, how much different is that going to feel, right? Because you don't have the dirt right happening. Or if you have this romantic scene and there's no like swelling strings, it's just not going to feel the same. And I don't think it's manipulative in any way. That's not what I'm saying. But I felt like, well, there are parts of this that I can use music to tell the story. So the fourth song in the record is called Run the Long Race. And it's about handing your kid over to the doctors. And that's the first half. And then the second half is 100% instrumental. And it's about the things that you feel while you are waiting for the doctor to come out and tell you whether your kid lived or died. What words was I supposed to use for if I wanted to tell that chapter and I did, like what are, I couldn't come up with any words. So it's just this swelling picture of anxiety, this section of music. 
and it's tragic and beautiful, at least in my mind, all at the same time. And that's what I wanted to do. It was a really um, cathartic experience for me. I've mentioned how it's helped me and that was my primary focus. But along the way, I've learned of some ways that it can be helpful for other people. We've already talked about people that are that find out they might have a similar journey in front of them and maybe being able to listen to this find some sort of comfort say hey this guy made it through hey this guy had a transformation how can i you know may, maybe that's helpful for them in some way to be able to express some of the things that they're feeling um you mentioned being able to hand it to a family member and and have some sort of education about what it feels like and then i have people that have no connections to the special needs Down syndrome community in any way, and they tell me how they relate to it. I have trauma in my past and this speaks to me, right? Or I had somebody tell me this is the sound of the pandemic, that I felt like things were so wrong and we are seeking out the light at the end of the tunnel. And this to me is that sound for me. And I'm finding all the ways that people interact with it. So my goal is just to get people to interact with it and, and give it a, a chance and not turn it off after the first song or even the first handful of songs so that they can make it through and understand what the end of the story is and not turn you know the movie off halfway through as it were. And I'm just really excited and hopeful that people will receive it the right way. As we grow and we evolve as a community, and I see us taking back our narrative, that's when the story changes. And it changes for us, and it changes for all of those who come behind us. And Jesse, you're adding to this narrative in, in yeah. a really wonderful way. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I love it. Thank you for your honesty and just putting yourself out there. You know, it's hard to put yourself out there. It's hard to own all your feelings, to feel all the feels. It really is. And I think for parents that listen to it, we're all in this together and we're all learning and growing. We, we're on a great journey. That's really the focus. And I am looking so forward to hearing more about your daughter and how great it is that she has a teacher for a mom. So I'm looking forward to hearing, hearing more. It was so nice to meet you. You too. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for your understanding. <laughs> and uh, one of the things I hope for from sharing this story and sharing this music is I just get to find my people. Where are my people? And uh, I, I think I've, I found a couple more of my people today. So thank you. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifwenewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. If We Knew Then.